0: It's time once again for another look into God's infallible book as we welcome you to, a, to this week's edition of The Riches of Grace. My name is Richard Jordan, and it's my privilege to be your host and Bible teacher each week as we meet together right here on this radio station. At this time, I hope you're making it a habit to be with us. Um, mark it down on your calendar and, and put it in your day timer and put it on your cell phone to, to buzz you and alarm you and remind you that um, we're meeting here right now for Bible study each morning, each 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 uh, week at this time, right here on this station. Our purpose is uh, to help you to understand and enjoy the Bible. This program is brought to you by Christian people that believe the Bible to be the Word of God and who appreciate its power and its authority. And our goal is to, to, to give you information out of God's Word that will help you for yourself understand God's word and understanding it see it go to work in your life for God's glory there's nothing that will ever be as exciting in your life and I mean nothing and I, I'm, I'm, I'm a married man with children and grandchildren and I'll tell you what marriage is the halls of the highest human happiness children are a, are a heritage of the Lord and grandchildren well bless their hearts they're God's reward for not killing your kids and there's nothing any better than them and I know all those blessings in life. I'm a saved man. I know the Lord sins forgiven, all that. But there's nothing in life that will be as wonderful, all those things added together, as having God's Word work effectually in you that believe. Because God's Word working in you enhances all the other experiences of life in a way nothing else ever can. Makes them makes them something that they never could have been without the truth of God's grace living and controlling your life. So our goal is to help you understand that and and to grasp what God's Word is about and uh, how you can personally stand on your own understanding and not have to rely on on preachers and and, and professors and church history and denominations and, and traditions and scholarship. You can just rely on your own understanding and be confident because you see it in verses in a Bible and you take your stand on that. The last few weeks we've been looking at um, the issue of our Lord's coming uh, to conclude the dispensation of grace and to conclude the forming of the church, the body of Christ. And as you study the Bible and you see what the future holds in store, you know that the the next great event that that God has predicted, that he will, has promised, that he will uh, execute, is the event that we call the rapture. Now that's not a Bible term, but it, it describes uh, our Lord's coming and our gathering together unto him. And we've talked about that now for several weeks. And involved in, in our studies together, we, I, I've gotten gotten a question from some of our listeners. Uh, actually, we, we've got this question several times. And I thought, well, maybe I would just, since I was talking about it along this time and people are listening and being interested in it, that I would address it. And, and the question is, should we be looking for the Antichrist? What about the mark of the beast? And should we be afraid of the mark of the beast? Is the mark of the beast really that barcode that you see on all the stuff? You know, you can't go into a grocery store anymore or a department store or anywhere anymore without uh, everything's got these barcodes on them, and, you know, people, cashiers anymore can't make change. They put it through the little machine, and it beeps, and it tells them everything on it. And if the electricity goes out, you can't buy anything uh, because nobody can figure out how much it costs. And... And the idea is, it's popularly presented, that uh, what's going to happen is they're going to put a, a computer chip in in your hand or in your forehead and be able to identify you with all that. And there's there's some really weird things going on in in uh, in, in in human engineering, genetic engineering today, and um, the the biotech fields. You know, there's I was reading a thing just the other day where. Uh, military. The military is where most of this, this cloning and the biotech, uh, uh, curtain is being pushed. So, you know, it was the sending people to space that, that pushed the miniaturization of the computer industry and is what really has given us, given us all this wonderful technology that we enjoy so much. Well, the military, uh, is, is where these things get pushed too, And in the biotech field, I was reading a thing recently, uh, where and some of the militaries of the world, several of them, they're experimenting with with the cloning, and uh, they just uh, have come out with you know you can actually grow your own organ. You need a replacement organ? Well, you can. They can clone it and grow your own for you now. But these are some of the areas that they're that they're pushing now is to try to take uh, cross species cloning. You know, you can already put a, a valve of a pig in your heart to to get a new heart valve. And the the military is talking about taking uh, the hearing from animals that have great, you know, highly sensitive hearing and implanting that and make a super soldier with vision and hearing and sense of smell. And I thought, wow, that's like back in Samuel, you know, one of David's mighty men was said to have killed a man who was lion-like. Uh, in other words, you say, well, what does that mean to be lion-like? Well, it would be strength, of course. But in the text, it's more than that. Here's someone who had been genetically altered to have vision and, and hearing and smelling capacities like a lion. Now, there's some really interesting things in the Scripture about that. And people see that thing going on now, and they say, well, boy, as it was back then, maybe it's going to be in the future. And there's some things to think about that. And certainly, there's a lot of scriptural uh, things that you could get into that. And because of that, people get get real speculative and they get all hyper, hyperventilating about uh, about speculation, and and actually just get into pure fear mongering when you talk about the Antichrist and all the things associated with him and his rise. One of the clearest teachings in the Bible is what it teaches about the Antichrist. Yet, it frankly it appears to be one of the most misunderstood and and mistaught topics that you could imagine. Can I tell you that the book of the Revelation is not, contrary to popular opinion, it's not, contrary to popular prophecy preachers, the book of the Revelation is not the best place to learn about the Antichrist. The most complete, down-to-earth description of the Antichrist is found in the book of Daniel, and especially chapter 8 and chapter 11. Just read it like you would read your morning newspaper. It's really, it's that simple. But in order to do that, you're gonna to have to forget about all the stuff, the notes you've been reading, the Schofield notes and the Ryrie notes and Larkin's charts and, and Lindsay's continual rewriting of his late great planet Earth and and you know, Van Eppe's perpetual videos and you're gonna to have to forget about Jerome's commentary and all the people that follow that. You're gonna to have to forget about the European common market and Russia and the the New World Order and the so called restored Roman Empire and Antiochus Epiphanes. You're gonna to have to forget about the Eighty seventy idea. And you're going to have to forget about all the the rapture guessers. What's going to happen, um, frankly, is that you'll have to jettison most of what you hear. Most prophecy preachers today sound like broken records as they go round in circles, repeating each other. Their thoughts all focused on Europe and Russia and the common market and the so-called restored Roman Empire. Listen. That's nowhere close to Daniel's scenario of the Antichrist, the little horn he calls him. Daniel's prophecy confines the Antichrist and his kingdom and everything he does to the Middle East nations. The modern prophecy experts are selling a lot of books, videos, seminars, and conference registration fees and all that. But, friend, they're just as far removed from presenting the truth of, 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 of the book of Daniel and the book of the Revelation. Um, they, they, they're just far removed from presenting that, that information and what those books teach about the future. None of the none of the, the sources that, that, that you hear, uh, you never say none, but the majority of them have any light Beyond what you can read and understand. I guarantee you none of them have any light beyond what you can read in Daniel eight and Daniel eleven. Daniel was the one that was given the information. In fact, if you try to make Daniel chapter eight and Daniel chapter eleven fit the the views that you'll hear from all these various sources, you'll you'll be you'll be off up in Russia and Europe, when you should be in the Middle East. Listen to me. Daniel says zilch about Russia and Europe. But he does write a lot about the Middle East. In fact, he names the countries and the locales that we know about that the Antichrist will come from. You see, last-day prophecy in the Bible. The major prophetic events of the last days in Israel are presented in the book of Daniel. And they have to do with the character Daniel calls the little horn, the Antichrist, we call him, and his career. But it's not in Europe, but it's in the Arab nations of the Middle East that Daniel puts all this information. We, we The Antichrist is going to get control of the Arab nations of the Middle East, Through political chicanery, through terrorism, through Israeli compromise, through military conquest, according to Daniel 11, he's going to be destroyed at the second coming. And then the millennial will come, the the millennial kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't come out of Europe. There's no invasion of Russia to establish him. In Daniel chapter 8 and Daniel chapter 11, you have the broad sketch of the career of the Antichrist. Now, listen to me. In Daniel 8, the Antichrist comes not from Europe, but from a division of the Greek Empire. Not a, not a division in Europe, because it didn't really go there, but a division in the Middle East. One of the divisions of the Greek Empire, in fact, is identified, talked about in the whole of Daniel chapter 11. Daniel 11 is a, is, a, is a broad sketch of the post greekian empire history that leads right up to the time of the Antichrist, the little horn. Now, I know you said, well, wait a minute. I thought so-and-so and so-and-so said that Daniel 11 is, is, is really Ptolemy. And, 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 and no, no, that, that, that's the detour, see, that gets the unsuspecting on a, on a dead-end path. In Daniel 11, the wars between the north and the south, the king of the north, the king of the south, are tied in as, as the, the history that leads up to the Antichrist, who becomes the king of the north. This north, it, it isn't Russia, it's not Europe, it's not China, it's not the North Pole. It's the north area discussed in the context, which is the Middle East. The Middle East has always been occupied by the Arab nations, so the north refers, obviously, to northern Arabs. But see, if you don't know anything about Arab history, about the Arab empire, well, it's because you, you weren't taught that history in school. And, you know, you weren't taught that because people back in the, in the past decided that the Western world, they'd be better served by, by burying Arab history in the desert, so to speak. Better not to know about the, about, about, uh, the, the Muhammadans and, and Islam. Or so people seem to think. But that's, that, that isn't going to that, that do. And when you come to the book of Daniel, uh, it's, it, it's far different from that. Daniel chapter 11, verse 21, the man who develops as the Antichrist, comes on the scene from the north. He's the king of the north. The Bible calls him the Assyrian. Not, not a European, a Middle Eastern. He said, I thought that guy was Antioch's Epiphanies. I read the notes in the Harvard Study Bible. Well, you thought that because Jewish writers of the Maccabees said so. The Roman Catholic Jerome said so. Modern Bible study Bibles and 10,000 writers have believed that. But Daniel didn't say it. And, and frankly, the Lord Jesus Christ blasts the whole thing to smithereens in Matthew 24, verse 15, when he places Daniel 11 into the future. He put the Antichrist and his abomination of desolation, Matthew 24, 15, before his second coming, not in the Maccabean period prior to his first coming. Now, Daniel 11, that's not Antiochus, it's the Antichrist. And his, his, major, his major focus is on Jerusalem. Now, the Antichrist arises, Daniel eleven twenty four says, there, there's, there are ten kings that arise, and then he arises among them, subdues three of them, takes over the rest. He gets control of the northern area in the Middle East. He struggles to, to the top of the heap. He fights a, a major war, Daniel 11 says, with the south, Arabs in the south, which is settled by negotiations that leave him in power and with great riches, Daniel 11 says. Now his major focus is Jerusalem, the city of the great king. He takes advantage of the weak leadership in Israel, them that forsake the covenant, Daniel says. And in the course of time and events, he desolates the place of, uh, of, of Jewish worship. And he sets himself up as the as, as, as the head. He becomes the undisputed king in the Middle East having power over the gold and silver, Daniel says. He built his, builds himself a palace at Jerusalem. And he will proclaim himself to be God. And it's there that he, he awaits his judgment at the second coming of Christ. Now all of that, I, I, I just kind of sketched through all of that. I don't have time to you know, go through all the verses in Daniel 11 with you, but I, I just sketched that scenario Because all of that takes place in the Middle East. He's a Middle Easterner. The the ten kings are Middle Eastern kings. They're identified by name, by the way, in Psalm 83. Go look at those kings. See where they are. That confederated kingdom that the Antichrist rules is in the Middle East. That's where it is. It's not in Europe. It's not Russia. It's not the United States. It's the Middle East. Now, that's where the mark of the beast is going to be the issues in his kingdom. Now that doesn't mean the whole world won't be influenced by him. They certainly will. But his rule and his kingdom and his authority is in that ten confederated kingdom of Middle Eastern nations around Jerusalem, north and south of Jerusalem, Israel. Now I say all of that, the the idea of the Antichrist in Scripture is very clearly laid out but you have to understand that the the uh, the use of the Antichrist and his career, <clears throat> the mark of the beast, and all of that, so often is just simply used as a as a detour away from what God's doing. First Thessalonians chapter number one, and by the way, the Antichrist in Isaiah chapter ten verse five is is addressed. His career is detailed. And God calls him the rod of mine anger, and the staff in their hand is mine indignation. I will send him against a hypocritical nation, against the people of my wrath, will I give him a charge. God uses the Antichrist to punish rebellious, unbelieving Israel. And to purge out, Ezekiel says, the rebel from his chosen nation and leave only the believing remnant. He, he separates the tares from the wheat, the parable says. He separates the wheat from the chaff, John the Baptist would say. The Antichrist is an instrument of God's wrath in the last days of the prophetic program. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 10, that we believers are waiting for God's Son from heaven who has delivered us from the wrath to come. Now that expression in First Thessalonians one ten, the wrath to come, is an expression in the Bible that was coined by John the Baptist. You will see him say use that expression. The Lord Jesus Christ picked up on it in, in Luke 21, but in Luke 3 and in Matthew 3, John the Baptist uses that expression, the wrath to come, when he talks to the Pharisees, John has come to Israel, preach to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Now that wrath was the wrath where he was whereby he was going to purge his floor, gather the wheat into the garner, and burn up the chaff. With unquenchable fire, it's the baptism of fire that he talked about. How does he do? How does that wrath come about? He sends the lie program. The person who is the personification of the lie, and he dis, and he gathers up all those who want to believe the lie. Gathers them. Zephaniah three verse eight says, "I'm going to gather the, all these nations together, that I might pour out my indignation on them." In other words, the judgment of the Antichrist and the judgment upon the Antichrist that God brings to pass in the last days that Daniel prophesies about, that the book of the Revelation lays out in such detail, all of that program is something God has has, uh, delivered members of the church, the body of Christ, from. We're not going to be appointed to that. We're not appointed to it. We won't be a part of it. We're not going to be here when it takes place. Now, in order for it to take place, God has to conclude the dispensation of grace and the formation of the body of Christ and return to the prophetic program. You remember that the, the dispensation we live in is called the mystery, that which is kept secret since the world began. The Antichrist is, is talked about, prophesied about, first predicted in Genesis chapter 3. He's part of prophecy, that which is spoken by the mouth of all the holy prophets since the world began. Well, that's two different programs. Something that was preached about, prophesied about since the world began. Something that was kept secret since the world began. They're different. God has interrupted the prophetic program today to form to, to to execute this unprophesied program called the dispensation of grace. But in order to go back to prophecy, he has to conclude the interruption. It's sort of like a parenthesis in a sentence. To go back to the sentence, you've got to close the parenthesis. That's what Paul says happened when he got saved. God interrupted the prophetic program. He said, I was before a blasphemer and an injurious. There was no, Paul had committed the blasphemy against, who did blaspheme? Blaspheme the Lord Jesus Christ, but he also blasphemed against the Holy Spirit in the little flock in the early Acts period. And Jesus had said, There's no salvation, no forgiveness for someone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit, not in this world or the world to come. So in order to save Saul, making Paul, he had to literally insert a new world, a new dispensation between where they were in the early acts and the world that's to come. And that's why Paul says, for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all suffering for a pattern to them which should have to believe on him the life everlasting. Well, in order to go back to prophecy, he has to conclude the dispensation of grace. Now, when he does that, he does that through the event call we call the rapture, our gathering. the Lord's coming and our gathering together to him, where we go to meet him in the air. And we're taken back into the heavens, and we've studied that in some detail. And once he does that, then he will go back into the prophetic program, take it up right as the beginning of the day of wrath was ready to come, and go back to it. But it's in that day of wrath that the Antichrist, the mark of the beast, and all those events take place. In other words, in order for the mark of the beast, the Antichrist, to appear, the dispensation of grace must conclude. In fact, we are the dispensation of grace is what keeps him postponed. We're what is restraining the evil one's appearance. Another reason, he has to take the body of Christ out, has to conclude the dispensation of grace, because it's holding back the fulfilling of prophecy. So... Should we be looking for the Antichrist? The answer is no. Now listen, I understand that things we've gone over here have been a little, you know, maybe it's a little technical. My wife would say it's a little dry, a little detail. I just want you to understand there's a lot of stuff in the Bible, a lot of details in the Bible. There are things you can understand, you can know, but you're not going to learn them by listening to all this stuff going on out there. You're going to have to learn them by studying the verses yourself. Don't be content to read books about the Bible. Learn to read the Bible yourself. That's what we want to do here as we that's what we want to help you to do, so you can be equipped to study the Bible on your own. Can I offer you a, a Bible study that would help you to do that? It's entitled, Will You have to?" Will You Have to Take the Mark of the Beast? Will You Have to Take the Mark? I'll be glad to give you that Bible study. It's on a C D. You simply call me here at 888 535 2300 888-535-2300. 888-535-2300. And you request your copy of the Bible study, Will We Have to Take the Mark of the Beast? And I'll be glad to see that you get a, a, this study. It's a detailed study of uh, the, many of the things we've gone over here today. Where you look at the verses and go through them at much more detail than I can do just in a quick little broadcast like this? Will you have to take the mark of the beast? You call me here, 888-535-2300, and we'll be glad to see that you get your free copy would be honored to have you with us, by the way, at Shorewood Bible Church today. We meet this morning at 9.30 at 10.45 and at 6 p.m. tonight. There's a lot to study in God's Word, and we study it four times a week. We also meet 7.30 on Wednesday night. Our church building is located at 1900 Hicks Road in Rolling Meadows. Uh, if you know where the Arlington Park race Course is up on the northwest side of the Chicagoland area, well, then you know about where we are. Highway 53 and Euclid. If you go east on Euclid off of Highway 53, that's where the race course is. Well, if you go west off of Euclid, uh, off of 53 on the Euclid, immediately there's a light, that's Hicks Road, and you just turn to the right, turn north on there, and you'll see our sign on the east side of the street, 1900 Hicks Road. By the way, if you'd like to check us out by not checking us out, you can go on the Internet, if you have that access, to ShorewoodBibleChurch.org, our name, ShorewoodBibleChurch.org, and if you'll do that at 9.30, 10.45, and 6 p.m. today, you'll be able to join our services live by way of the internet. Just click on the little video icon there and it'll, your browser will put you in. And you can join us today without even coming out. And uh, I just encourage you to check us out. We're not for everybody. We understand that. But we might be for you if you're interested in understanding God's Word for yourself. Thanks for being with us today. It's a privilege to have you join us. Till next week, Maranatha.